Well, good morning, class. I'm glad you're here and not on the road this morning. <laughs> good to have you in class. I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Ephesians chapter 3. I want to deal with another one of uh, the Apostle Paul's prayers. And I want to emphasize again that the reason why we study these prayers is because everything that is in the Word of God is for our benefit and our instruction. Point, then we learn how to pray by looking at the prayers in Scripture. And that's what I want to be able to do in my time with you these days is to <clears throat> help you enhance your own prayer life by making it more biblical. Now this morning, uh, I want you to look with me. I'm going to read the passage before we have prayer. I want you to look at verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. Notice what he says. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he praying to? Praying to the Father. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Why? That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, you being rooted and grounded in love and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, uh, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Why? That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what I want to talk to you about today. This is a prayer that helps us to understand how to pray for other people so that through our prayer ministry, the relationship that others have with God might be enhanced and they experience all that God has for them, the fullness of God in their life. Now let's pray and ask the Lord's direction. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you and, and uh, being able to study your revelation to us so that we know how to live in a way that's pleasing to you. Help us today to see how through our intercessory prayer for others, we can help them grow to the point of experiencing the fullness of God. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, in order for this to be beneficial, I think there are some preliminary observations that I ought to make that will help you. One is my experience. When I became a believer, I'd already joined the church. I'd been baptized. I'd walked down the aisle when I was 15 and said I was going to be a preacher, and I didn't even know the Lord. I didn't know the word salvation. Well, what does that mean? I, that's how ignorant I was. But my spiritual father, by a guy by the name of Cliff Taylor, lives in Colorado now, took me to Emmanuel Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia, my hometown. Emmanuel Baptist Church was an independent Baptist church, like Glen Iris. And the pastor there was a man by the name of uh, Dick uh, Sumi. Richard Sumi was a graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary. He was pastor at Emmanuel at the time. 
Now, I had to go to church with mom and dad in the mornings, but in the evenings they didn't go to church, so I went with Cliff to hear Dr. Sumi. Now, I want you to hear me clearly. I sense many pastors in this generation are not really walking with God like they ought to. That's why we get caught by surprises in their life when they're uncovered. So we shouldn't be surprised when it happens because they're really not walking with God like they ought to. And they're pastors. Well, Dick Sumi was an exception to the rule. He's par excellence. When I was around him, I sensed that he had a relationship with Jesus Christ that was deep and very real. And it uh, manifested itself in his life. But the overwhelming thing that happened to me when I started going to this church in Richmond was that Pastor Sumi would come out on the platform and he'd bow his head and he'd start praying. And as he finished up his prayer time, he began to sing under his breath. And the people on the front rows of the congregation picked up what he was singing and they started singing with him and it just kind of moved all the way back to the back rows so that by the time we went on the radio that evening, uh, we as a congregation were all singing because our pastor had led us that way. The other thing that was so important to me about Dick Sumi was this. He was a man that was an expositor. And I would go on Sunday nights to hear him preach. And I can still remember he was preaching through the book of Titus. And for the first time, child of God, in my life, I realized you could understand this book. And it had truths that could revolutionize our lives. When when I walked away from that congregation and that service that night, I realized one thing. John Talley, you need to do that. You need to learn how to be an expositor and demonstrate the power of God in your life. He's one of my heroes. He's with the Lord now. The second one is a name you might know, and that's Dr. Alden Gannett who was the president at Southeastern Bible College. He was one of my heroes. And when I went off to Southeastern Bible College, we'd go up to the old stable, the horse stable down on Pawnee. That was our campus. That was our chapel. And uh, I would go and sit down about five or six rows back on the right-hand side as I faced uh, the speaker. And Pastor Jack LeGrand was sitting right in front of me down on the front row. We went to school together. I'll never forget when he started preaching through the book of 1 John. I thought heaven had come down. Here was a man that spoke with authority, that evidenced the power of God in his life, and he knew how to explain the Bible. Does that make sense? And that's what I had prayed all my life, that the Lord would give me that ability. Now, what I have been describing is what we call the fullness of God in a person's life. You're around them and you sense they know God and they're walking with him. And it comes out in the way they minister the word of God to their congregation. Now, I want to talk about the fullness this morning and how we can help others experience the fullness of God. 
But in order to do that, we maybe need to know what it means. The fullness of God, when you study the commentaries and you study the systematic theology books and all of that, they come up with two things. When you talk about the fullness of God, you're talking about his moral excellence. And you're talking about his exceeding great power. Moral excellence and power. I call it character and capability. That's the fullness of God. And we want it to come out through our lives. I want you to look with me in a couple of passages that help us to understand. And we're still preparing for Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to look with me at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to look at uh, verse 19. Uh, yeah, one nineteen of Colossians. Everybody there? Now here's what it reads. For it pleased the Father that in him, that is in Christ, should all the fullness dwell. Now look up here. That's simply saying that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has all the fullness of God. Everything that God is, Jesus Christ is. He has moral excellence, and he has power in his life. The second passage I want you to look at is in chapter 2 of Colossians and verse 9. Notice what it says. It says, For in him, that is in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This resurrected Son of God in his bodily form in chapter 2, verse 9, he has dwelling in him, or he had dwelling in him, the fullness of God. But I want you to notice the next verse. Not only does Christ have the fullness of God, but because we are related to him, verse 10 of Colossians chapter 2, we ex uh, positionally have the fullness of God. Look what it says. I'm going to read verse 9 and then go into verse 10. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. Now, the thing you've got to understand about verse 10, child of God, is in the English text, most of them will translate it as it is in my uh, challenge, in my uh, version that I'm using this morning, you are filled. Same word as in the previous verse. In him, you are filled with the fullness of God. Now, I want you to look up here. When we talk about the principles of the word of God, they can apply to us experientially, but first of all, they have to be in us positionally. In Christ. When God looks at us, he sees us in Christ. And he sees us as having all the fullness of God, just like Jesus has all the fullness of God. All the fullness in, of uh, God that is in Christ fills us, and we're filled with the, the uh, fullness of God. But, child of God, that's positionally. It's just like I'm saved and I'm on the way to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Positionally, that's true. But experientially, it hadn't happened yet. But in Christ, it's already a done deal. Does that make sense? So now we're talking about the fullness of God that dwells in us. 
But the question, and that's positional, in Christ we have it. But experientially, how do we get there? Well, I want you to look at the passage uh, that is before us, and we'll see that the fullness of God comes when we pray. Now, I want to make one more observation I think will be helpful, and that is this. God took the initiative and reconciled the world to himself through Christ. Remember that? He reconciled. He chose and sought after us and brought us to Christ through the power of his spirit. He took the initiative. But in other passages of Scripture, when we talk about our relationship with God, we need to understand we need to take the initiative. For example, draw near to God and what will happen? He will draw near to you. So there's an experiential as well as a positional relationship. The positional one we have as soon as we believe. The experiential one is something that is a process. And we can be involved in it. Now there's one other thing. I'm sorry I have to drink medication. Um... One more thought that I think is very important. That's a literary format that's used in our text. I want you to look at uh, at verse 16. In my English text, it says that he would grant you. The text is using a preposition in order that or so that. It's what we call a henna clause. Uh, you would spell it in English, uh, H-I-N-A, a henna clause. We have three of them in this text. One in verse 16, so that he would grant. Verse 18, so that you may be able with all the saints. Now, it doesn't even show that in my English text. But in the Greek text, it's there. In order, so that you may be able to comprehend. And then the latter part of verse 19 so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. There's three inner clauses that you need to understand, and that helps us to outline the text. Now, in order to see what the text is saying, let's begin and analyze it and outline it as we go. First of all, we see the reason for Paul's prayer, and it's found in verse 14. For this cause. Ephesians 3 and verse 14. For this cause. What cause? Go back to verse 1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, to you Gentiles, or for you Gentiles. In other words, the apostle Paul recognized that God had called him as an apostle, particularly for the Gentile world. So he says, for this cause, I'm praying for you. Why? Because you guys had... Ephesus or Gentiles, and you're my responsibility. So he says, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. In other words, he prays to the Father. Remember, Jesus says, you'll not ask anything in my name. Uh, You will ask nothing of me, but you will pray to the Father in my name. He will answer your prayers. It is the Father that uh, prays uh, or that responds to our prayers. He's the recipient of Paul's prayer. And then we have the request. And I want you to notice 
that in verse 16 through verse 19a, we see the requirements for having the fullness of God. Notice, he begins by saying, we need to be maturing in God's love. Look at it, verse 16a. Notice what it says. Verse 16, he, that is the father who he's praying to, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might in the inner man. Paul is praying for these Gentile saints that they will begin to experience the fullness of God by maturing in God's love. So the first thing I would say to you is, all of this process that leads to the fullness of God, Paul is acknowledging in his prayer that the Father has to authorize it to happen. Notice what he says. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. He would grant you according to the riches of his glory. So the first thing that I think we need to understand about the Father's authority is that the source of power and the ability to go through the process and experience the fullness of God is under the authority of the Father. He has to, he has to allow it to happen. So Paul's praying to the Father that he will indeed allow that to happen. That's the source of uh, the Father's uh, authority in our lives. But notice something else, child of God, that I think is really important in the text. He says that he, the Father, would grant you according to the riches of his glory. According to the riches of his glory. Now, I want to illustrate that by moving into a little bit different category of life when we're talking about according to the Father's uh, authority. When I was a president at Southeastern Bible College for a little over 11 years, one of my primary responsibility was to raise money so the students could afford to go to school and we could pay the uh, faculty salaries. And I learned some of the men in the city, not all of them, of course, but I learned a lot of the names and able to identify very wealthy people in this area that were believers. One man in particular was a major donor for us. Now, when I went to see this man, I'm not going to tell you his name. He's with the Lord now, but some of you may know or somebody out in the audience, and I, want, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to do that. But I went, when I would go to see this man, I did not go to see him to ask him for $25. <laughs> I didn't go to see him to ask him for $2,500 or $250,000. When I'd go to see him, one time in particular, I was asking him for a million dollars. I've done that several times while I was president. I asked him for a million dollars. You know what he said to me? Dr. Talley, I can't do that. Now, he was capable, but he wasn't going to do it. What he was saying to me is, I can't and I won't give you a million. And I would think in the back of my mind, well, why not? You know what he said? I didn't actually say that to him, by the way. That would be dumb on my part. 
But he said to me, Dr. Tally, I can't give you a million. I'm not going to give you a million. I'll give you $750,000. Now, folks, I didn't turn that down. It wasn't a million dollars. But he gave according to his riches. You understand it? And that's what the Father's doing. Paul is praying, saying, Father, grant according to the riches of your glory. According to that, you authorize. You see it? So we see the source of the authority for our fullness, and we see the degree of that fullness that is coming to you. It's in accordance with the Father's ability. Now, notice in verse 16 and verse, in that latter part of the verse, I will read it again, that he would grant you according to the riches of glory, be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now look at that. The Father authorizes it, but the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to learn how to love God that leads to the fullness of God. Notice, to be strengthened. That's an aorist passive child of God. And I use uh, language grammar a lot, uh, maybe much more than I should have. But I think it's important for you to understand. Aorist passive verb here, you might be strengthened with the might of the Spirit of God in your, li- in your life. Aorist means once and for all, it's a done deal. And the other thing that it says, it's passive. There's an outside force working on you. In this text, he's identified as the Holy Spirit. He's working. The Father authorized it, but it's the Holy Spirit that is the one that enables us and gives us the ability. So it's the Father's authority. It's the Holy Spirit's ability given to us. And where does he give that? He gives this to us in the inner man, child of God, to the inner man. In other words... We're not legalists. We want people to be changed from the inside out. We don't want conformity to the rules in some church. We want our insides to be strengthened, to be conformed to the principles of God's Word. Amen? And where does that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit because the Father authorized him to do that. Everybody with me? Now, the maturing in God's love continues in verse 17. Notice what he says. Christ may dwell in your heart by faith, you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, I want you to notice a couple of words. First, in verse 17, Christ may dwell in your heart. This is an unusual word for dwell or to abide. Uh, It's not the word that we've seen in other prayers, but it's a word that the verb form comes from the noun oikos, house. And it has a preposition attached to the front of the verb, kata, which means down. In other words, Christ, as a result of our being strengthened in the inner man under the authority of the Father, Christ is allowed to come and dwell and settle down, if you please, in our lives. He became, becomes a permanent resident 
in our life in a very special way. And the point being that we need to understand there's preparations for being able to settle down. Let me illustrate from my life and, and my wife's life. When we decided we were coming back to Birmingham, this is not our original home, but it became home for us. This is the third time we've lived in this city, and we're going to be here uh, unless the Lord changes in a very radical way. We're going to be here so the Lord takes us home or he comes. We love Birmingham. But we bought a piece of property, and uh, we got floor plans out. We went to Lowe's and got all those books and looked at all the different floor plans, and we custom-made the floor plan for our house. Then one of my students had a company, construction company, and he built the house for us. He painted the colors we wanted. We had the carpet we wanted. Uh, we had all the pictures hung in the house, all the things that were part of who we were and our history. And when that was done and finished, our house was no longer a house. It was our home where we settled down. It became ours. All the preparations allowed the house to become our home. Everybody with me? Now, Jesus Christ, this text tells us in verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, ye being rooted and grounded in love. Now, look up here. When Christ comes to settle down in our house, our body, and make it his home, he wants it decorated that makes him comfortable. And what are the decorations? Being rooted and grounded in love, the latter part of verse 17. Now, let me explain that grammatically. We have here two participles, rooted and grounded in love. They're perfect passives. That is, they are things that happened uh, in the past that have ongoing uh, implications in our life now, and it's a passive because an outside force worked on us and helped us to be rooted and grounded in love. How did that begin? Paul says, I prayed that God would authorize it. And I prayed then that the Holy Spirit would enable us and strengthen us in the inner man. Why? So that Christ can come and settle down because our house was decorated with his decorations. We were grounded uh, in uh, love. Rooted and grounded in God's love. Does that make sense to you today? So he, he came and he settled down in our lives. Now, child of God, it doesn't stop there. It goes on. How can we help other people to be like my spiritual heroes, Dr. Sumi and Dr. Gannon, so that when you're around other believers at our church, you sense they're walking with God? Amen? And they have the moral excellence and they have uh, the power of God oozing out of their lives. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians? I didn't come with speech and flowery words of man's wisdom, but what? In the demonstration of the power of God in my life. That's what we're talking about. God, John Talley wants that 
I want a demonstration of the power of God. And if we have a whole church full of people that demonstrate that kind of uh, relationship with God, it can overwhelm our communities. Now, how does it happen? It happens when we draw near to him. It also happens when we intercede for each other. You've probably never heard that before. And I'm not trying to be critical. We just don't study the prayers like we should to learn how to pray. We can help other people experience the fullness of God. And we're not even around them. I pray for missionaries and pastors all around the world. And I pray this prayer for them. Because the scripture tells me that I can impact their spiritual life in such a way that people will sense the fullness of God in their lives. Now, in verse 18 and verse 19, notice when Christ comes and settles down, settles down, something else happens. We're rooted and grounded in love because the Father authorized it and the Spirit gave us the ability and the inner man. And as we're rooted and grounded in love, we can see uh, the Father, uh, the Son come and settle down and dwell in our lives in a permanent way. And as a result of that, Notice that the text says we will begin to comprehend Christ's love in our life. Notice what it says. So that, here's your second hint o'clock. So that you may be able, now remember that's not in the English text, but that's what it says in the Greek and that's important for you to understand so you know this is a hint clause. It has purpose. Why does Christ come and settle down? that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints, what? The breadth, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, to comprehend the love of Christ in your life, which passes all knowledge. Now look up here. Unless we are at this point in our spiritual life, Unless the people we're praying for are at this experience, in uh, this place in their spiritual growth, they cannot understand what we're talking about here. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge is beyond our ability to understand. It is God that works in our lives and allows us to understand and comprehend uh, this love of Christ in our lives. Does that make sense to you? Now, I'm going to take it a, a little bit further. My wife and I are getting up in years. Some of you are probably older than we are, I know, but you're probably not as decrepit as I am. But Betty and I have been married for 56 years this past month, the 26th of the month. My wife has arthritis, and it's getting worse. She takes pain uh, prescription four times a day. And sometimes I can look out over at her and see the frown on her face, and I know she's hurting, and hurting bad. And many a time I've said to her, 
honey, I know you're hurting. And I'm not trying to be melodramatic at all. But I have said to her with all sincerity many times, I wish I could take that pain and put it in my body and relieve you of that pain. Does that make sense to you? And as I struggle with the pain in my leg, going to therapy and it hurts, you need to feel sorry for me because it hurts. She is concerned for me. It's reciprocal. And when I get to the point in my life where I love so much that I'm willing to say, Lord, let that pain come to me. You know what I've just experienced? The love of Christ. And the point is, I can comprehend how much Christ loves me by the experiences I have of loving others, and in particular, my wife. And so I can end up saying, oh, that's how much he loves me. Does that make sense? All of a sudden, oh, now I understand what it means for Christ's love to be in me and how much he loves me. I'm now able to comprehend it because God has authorized the process. The Holy Spirit has strengthened me in the inner man so that Christ can come and settle down in my life because through the process, I've been rooted and grounded in love and I can now experience to some degree how much Jesus Christ loves me. Now, you want to know what that means, child of God? It means simply this. That that love that I experience that comes from Christ is the thing that's going to lead me to experience the fullness of Christ, the fullness of God. Notice what the text says. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge so that, there's your third hinder clause, so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You become the recipients of God's fullness. Notice what it says. You might be filled. That uh, verb is a subjective aorist passive verb form. That doesn't mean anything to you except this is a maybe kind of thing. People don't necessarily go and follow through even when the process is started. But that you might be filled, heiress, once and for all, be filled with the fullness of God. Passive, outside force again, working on you. This is something God has to do in your life and in mine and in the lives of those we're praying for. That's the experiential, the experiential fullness of God. Remember, we have it when we're in Christ. In Him, we have all the fullness of God. But as we pray and people go through the process, experientially, 
they can sense the fullness of God in their lives, and so can others as well. Let me illustrate what that means. My wife and I used to love to go up to Gatlinburg. Now, we didn't go for a lot of the reasons other people go, and I'm not being critical when I say that. We love art. We love the expressions on the painted canvas with the ability that God has given to certain people. It's amazing. I try to draw something, and never can I get it right. An artist can draw it, and oh my goodness. How do they do that? A person can be an artist and never apply their ability. A musician can have all the power and ability and talent that allows them to sing or to play the organ, to play the piano, play the violin, but they never get around to doing it. But when we pray for other believers, we can begin to sense the power of God working in their life so that somewhere along the line, they begin to experience the fullness of God. Not positionally, but experientially in a way that under normal circumstances, our mind could not comprehend. That make sense? How can I help other people around the world experience the fullness of God? By praying that they will have a maturing relationship in God's love. The Father authorizes it. The Spirit strengthens us, and Christ comes and dwells in us to help us to continue to grow. Why? Because our house is decorated in a way that he appreciates. We're rooted and grounded in love. And as that happens, then we begin to experience how much he loves us. And we're ready to say, Okay, Lord, if you love me that much, I'm willing to trust you with my life. Whatever it is you want to happen in my life, I trust you because I know you love me. You want to be there? Pray the prayer for yourself. You want your kids, the missionaries you pray for, the pastoral staff here, all of those people that are so important in our lives. Through intercessory prayer, we can help them experience the fullness of God in their lives. Amen? Now, folks, put that prayer into your life, into your weekly schedule. Remember I told you last time, each of these prayers that I'm sharing with you, I have them listed on my prayer calendar so that I know on a certain day, I, I think it's Wednesday or Thursdays in my prayer list, 
that I pray this prayer for my kids, for my grandkids, for my great-grandkids, for pastor, the pastoral staff here, for the members of this church, and other people that we pray for during the week. That's our challenge. Let's learn how to intercede with others so they experience the fullness of God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that you would help us, Father, to be faithful prayer warriors, praying for people around us, that they too, along with ourselves, might experience the fullness of God in our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.